This is Bloomberg Surveillance. I think one of the challenges has been that the Fed and other central banks want inflation, but they don't want too much inflation. What's holding us back at home is not what we're spending on national security. It's what we're not doing domestically. The lack of a creative fiscal response to years of unacceptably low growth is the real story here. Bloomberg Surveillance, your link to the world of economics, finance, and investment on Bloomberg Radio. Good morning, everyone. Bloomberg Surveillance. Tom Keenan, Michael McKee. Thrilled you're with us this morning worldwide. Of course, the president in Japan, his press conference earlier was really uh, quite something, a wide-ranging press conference. Our Toulouse Ripa talking to the president about uh, the Clinton emails. There were questions on his visit to Hiroshima uh, tomorrow as well. Worldwide and coast-to-coast, Bloomberg Surveillance brought to you by Invesco. Invesco believes it's time to say goodbye to the traditional 60-40 Stock bond allocation, say hello to alternatives, is a core part of modern portfolios. Learn more at Invesco.com slash alts. James Bullard of St. Louis, usually speaking with our Michael McKee, is in Singapore. And he's making some really interesting and tangible headlines. He talks about the dot plot. He says the Fed could have avoided the mess by not guiding with the dot plot. (laughs) Jim Bullard says the FOMC got a little burned with a dot plot in December and January. For the summer, Diane Swank's getting a dot plot in her left arm. She joins <laughs> no, us now with DS no Economics Chicago, uh, live and in color here in New York. How silly is the dot plot? Dump the dots. Done this Dump before. the dots. You know, because Dump the dots. Dump the dots. The dots, there was an intent behind them and, you know, my friend Charlie Evans, he was part of that. He believed in the dots. The problem is they got used to I hate to use the word, people confuse what politics in the Fed are versus politics outside of the the Fed in Washington, but it was used for people to put extreme views. Remember in December, Coca Lakota was leaving, um, from the Minneapolis Fed, and, you know, here they, they went ahead and, um, raised rates for the first time in December, yet there was a negative interest rate on that dot plot. And it was kind of confusing. Who put a negative interest rate all of a sudden on the dot plot? It got to be so that people who had extreme views could express their extreme views rather than really say where the consensus of the Fed was. What is great about Swank Economics is you're ecumenical. I never get the sense that you've got an angle or a political angle. How philosophically divided is this Fed between the traditional bounds, freshwater, saltwater, Great Lakes economics, the yeah. Georgia School of Timberlake and Robert McTeer. What What's the politics of the Fed? Right Actually, now? you know, I think there are more. They, there was some very deep divisions. I think now they're more in unison. And I think it's wrong to talk about hawks and doves. I do think it was interesting that Harkin um, said uh, said he was an eagle um, out of the Philly mm-hmm. Fed. The The bottom line is they're now flocking together, singing in unison after all this dissonance. And what we're seeing is. Everyone is concerned within the Federal Reserve that the markets got it wrong. Now, let's face it, the markets have been more right than the Fed is on their own dot plots. Um, but what they're worried about is the markets, as Jim Bullard said, no normal, um, no mm. normalization. The markets are not pricing in enough of rate hikes right. over the next several we years. Have a, we have a, a thing that we do in America where we look at the dynamics of, say, income statement economics, and we avoid the old world of balance sheet economics. Is this a Fed ignorant of the need to clear markets? <laughs> I don't think they're ignorant. I think the Fed is 
What we've seen is the transparency that we've seen out there has really been, as I've talked about before, we've seen the sausage being made, and we don't like the blood. We don't like seeing all Agreed. this. We don't, we don't want to be. We don't want to be in the back of the kitchen of a great restaurant. That's what we're seeing today. And now I think the Fed is trying to rein it in a little bit. What's interesting is it really is not easy to corral these cats. And the fact that they're all starting to sing in unison means there actually is a consensus building. And it's not as divided as it once was. Now, what does that mean for the next rate hike? They can divide real quickly again. Because there is a difference on how much within the Fed, how much overshooting and inflation do we allow? Um, Stan Fisher, vice chair of the Fed, really wouldn't like to see any overshooting. Where Chair Yellen... And hers is the largest vote once over. Another Jim Bullard headline. He wades into the Brexit debate. This is important again. Brexit isn't global financial event. It's seen as being Jim Bullard with some some real pushback to the consensus and the belief right now, whether it's global headwinds or not. Give us a measurement right now of Chair Yellen's attention on international economics. Well, she revealed her hand when she talked about China. Um, and you saw this sort of dovish um, speech by Yellen. She's speaking again on June 6th. That's going to be a pivotal point. Because and that's after the jobs report. After the jobs report, but mm-hmm. really right before the blackout period. So this is her chance to put in, we've heard this unison. This shift towards rate hikes in June or July. Um, at the end of the day, it's Chair Yellen's vote that matters the most, and that will be the deciding factor. But it is interesting, as Lael Brainerd, who's um, Federal Reserve Governor, she's really brought into the equation much more of the international. And it really is something that has been a criticism of the Fed, and I think they're trying to grapple with it now, is how do you have a mandate on the domestic economy and then say, you know, the international world matters, but it doesn't? It does. Okay, but to the domestic economy, we have inflation, and we all know those vectors, but we're we're nowhere overshooting now. I mean, no, we're, no, we're, we're, we're right? still undershooting, and that's the point. And so, you know, I think the important part for the Fed, too, is that, you know, they're starting to get to the point where they realize, you know, there is no Las Vegas in the world. What happens abroad comes back to us. There is no place where it just stays there. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that Las Vegas stays there either, but that's the, that's the important point is what happens abroad matters, and we have to think about how those waves show up up on our own shore and how high those waves are. So far, we've been able, the good news is if our domestic economy can weather it, that's good. Um, there's some things that you just have to punt on. Right. I mean, if China melts down, and I think they're seeing a financial crisis in China, down the road, I think that will be one of the gar- greatest challenges. The, well, the other great thing about Swank Economics with your bank one days and working with James Diamond in another lifetime and, and the idea of, of what you did at Mesero and now at DS Economics is this real understanding of two Americas. There's a huge body of America. I mean, is, Di- is uh, Chair Yellen managing the Fed for a gilded age in a plutocracy? She you would know, say no. No, I would argue, you know, and this is where she's really gotten a bad rap. I mean, you know, I think she felt really sideswiped, and we saw the shellacking she took in Congress when she did the Humphrey Hawk, yeah. what was used to be the Humphrey Hawkins. She is someone who has really lived the 19... 19- the difference between her and Stan Fisher is Yellen saw the 1990s. She sees an opportunity to overshoot on unemployment and re-engage workers, which is beginning to happen, that have been sidelined, that people thought their skills had atrophied, they'll never work again. She sees an opportunity to overshoot, and she remembers 1998, 1999, when all you needed to get a job was a pulse. And she wants to get to some of that with some wage acceleration. And she's been disappointed that we've not seen more of it, but she has been proven right. Then where are you on the unemployment rate? Dean Mackey at 0.72x Barclays takes the vector all the way down to 4.2, 4.1, even 4.0 unemployment. It is, it is, 
beyond thinking that we could get Jim Bullard's no normalization or slow normalization with a vector moving to 4% unemployment? Well, not necessarily. I mean, it depends on how fast the Fed moves. I think, you know, the issue is how much labor force participation do we get? I don't think I don't think we're at the full employment tipping point that some people think we are. We are having right. wage acceleration. We're having some traction. But a lot of it's coming from minimum wages at the state and local level being raised. And that's starting to finally hit a tipping point. It's coming from, we are seeing entry level, new college grads finally seeing it. But what we're not seeing it is Gen X, which is this smaller population that was hit. God, these are people in their 30s and 40s. They're the ones who, we saw the reduction in participation rate. We saw the reduction in home ownership. That's where the sweet spot of people's earning potential is. And if they're not seeing an acceleration, right. you don't get as much traction but in the overall those, economy. This is a social question now. Can those kids, to us they're kids, can those kids That's revealing our age, Tom. Real, <laughs> I'm revealing my age. Uh, um, can those kids get back to normal with the new terminal rate of GDP? I would suggest they can't. Um, well, interestingly, I, you know, Larry Summers has an interesting chart that he tweeted, and I, I had to retweet it out. He shows that um, the Great Depression had this big V shape, but if you if you index both the Great Depression and the Great Recession with the growth rates we have projected, you end up at the same endpoint in 1940. In 1940, that you do the war. It, right? Yeah, so it's still not this subpar growth has eroded things, and it mass. Growth in its aggregate has masked the great inequalities, mm-hmm. and that's why we're seeing this anger. I mean, you can look. I mean, the the frustration at the polls is, you know, the, the sense of stagnation or a little growth. It's not enough. You know, we need to see more wage gains. And people mm-hmm. who have, they, a lot of people have really lost a lot of income. What's your run rate on GDP 12 months out? Um, I'm still, you know, unfortunately 2%. I wish, 2.0? Yeah. Oh. You know, I'd like to have stronger. Yeah, it's not good enough. Um, we're going to have a big bounce back in the second quarter, and part of that's, you know, um, seasonal, and we sure. are regaining traction. But the bottom line is, you know, I'd love to be wrong. I want to be wrong. I want to have a stronger economy, and I want the okay. Fed to have to normalize rates. We're going to continue with Diane Swank of DS Economics. Futures flat. They're up a little more uh, earlier. Yields have come in over the last two days. We got up near 093 on the two-year, 0.91 now, it's movement around nudges. Without question, the headline this morning is $50 oil, West Texas 49.84, and Brent crude $50, $0.11 a barrel. I'm watching in the currency markets, um, euro dollar 111.79. Again, pretty much a churn there uh, as well. We're going to come back with Diane Swank and then much more on economics. We're going to get a really interesting look at Brexit from a gentleman from Scotland. That will be uh, better than good here uh, in this hour uh, as well. Gold, 1231 an ounce, gets a nice bounce off the 1223 level that we saw yesterday. This hour of surveillance brought to you by Westchester Subaru. Visit westchestersubaru.com. Here's Michael Barr with news headlines. Mike, Tom, thank you very much. President Barack Obama says world leaders are rattled by Donald Trump. President Obama mentioned Trump at a news conference today in Japan after attending the first working session of the G7 summit. The president says many of Trump's proposals display ignorance about world affairs. 
a cavalier attitude or an interest in getting tweets and headlines. Meanwhile, Donald Trump will give an energy policy speech today in North Dakota. No reports of injuries or fatalities after a large tornado tore through northern Kansas last night. The twister was on the ground for about 90 minutes. Global News, 24 hours a day, powered by our 2,400 journalists, more than 150 news bureaus around the world. I'm Michael Barr. Mike, Tom? Thank you, Michael. Well, measures of financial stress, that was uh, Jim Bullard's focus this morning. They have eased, and it looks that way in the markets, with the dollar index lower and bonds flat this morning. The 10-year note yield, 1.87%. This is Bloomberg Radio Worldwide. Bloomberg Surveillance is brought to you by New York Community Bank. Ask about their My Community Interest Checking with free New York Community Bank online and mobile banking. Earn more, get more. Visit nycb.com for details. Global Business News, 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow. Sears Holdings, the unprofitable department store company controlled by hedge fund manager Edward Lampert, Edward Lampert plans to consider options for its Kenmore, Craftsman, and Die Hard brands, as well as its Sears home service repair business. Brent crude rising above $50 a barrel for the first time in more than six months as a decline in U.S. stockpiles accelerated a rebound from a 12-year low. Brent is up 8 tenths percent or 41 cents at $50.15 a barrel, while NYMEX crude oil is up 7 tenths percent or 31 cents to 49.87. U.S. stock index futures also higher. S&P E-mini futures up two points. Dow E-mini futures up 29. NASDAQ E-mini futures up six. The DAX in Germany is up four tenths percent. Ten-year treasury, little change, yield 1.86 percent. COMEX gold is up half percent or $5.80 to 12.32.40 an ounce. The euro, a dollar. 1183, the yen 109.99. That's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Tom and Mike. Karen, uh, thanks so much. Greatly appreciated. VIX trading 13.89 in the equity market. A good feel uh, to the market. One of the great advantages of slogging my way through Bloomberg surveillance every morning is Michael McKee has talked to every Fed president 14 times. <laughs> I mean, maybe, excuse me, Mike, San Francisco's a long ways away. It's a time Maybe it's only 12 thing, yeah. times there. <laughs> Jim Bullard speaking, but Mike, put it in only the context you can put it in. Is it a redux of previous moments, or is there something original to his comments in Singapore? Nothing particularly original. He rearranged some of the paragraphs. It's same speech that he gave in Beijing on Monday. Uncharacteristically neutral for him, perhaps because he's speaking to an overseas audience. But if you read between the lines, he's outlining the reasons why the Fed feels that it can go mm. ahead and raise rates. The labor markets are strong. Inflation is rising. And particularly, international headwinds have died down. You all right over there? You're, just, you're replaying the uh, Sharks? Rachel uh, Worsband. No, yeah, Sharks did well. <laughs> Rachel Worsband told me that the only reason Diane Swack agreed to appear today is because the White Sox and the Cubs are in first place. That's true. Did you know no, that? that makes them all, it makes Chicagoans even more crazy. You know it that. Is. Because yeah. then, then it's like civil war. Have you ever gone like on a weekend to both parks? That is so cool. I have gone to both parks, not on the same weekend. I've done it in a day. Cool. 
that is, yeah, almost, that is very almost, cool. There's a, almost uh, like a Cubs doubleheader, and you know they play a lot of day games, and then yes. the White Sox uh, nightcap. You get the night games. Bring in our esteemed guest, Michael. Well, of course, Diane Swank is a longtime uh, member of the extended surveillance family. She now runs <laughs> her own firm, Diane Swank and Associates, in. What town is it? Chicago. Chicago. <laughs> and uh, I note you and Tom were talking about um, the the fact that you are from uh, multiple zip codes away from here. Uh, the markets and um, the folks on Wall Street tend to have a, a fairly pessimistic outlook about how things are going. And uh, people in Washington, to hear them tell it, um, hell in a handbasket is probably <laughs> an optimistic view, but they're running for office, so they have to say things are terrible. Uh, but what does it look like in the real America? You know, um, it depends on who you are, right, and where you live. It isn't um, – Chicago is now one of the most segregated cities in the country. We have um, neighborhoods that are – on par with San Paulo in terms of violence and poverty, which is really um, sad and um, a, a troubling issue. So we're seeing things. We're at the cutting edge in Illinois of much of what the country has to deal with going forward, and that is everything from income inequalities, the race issues, to the budget issues. I mean, Illinois is, you know, you want to munch on your Greek yogurt while you're there. Um, it really has some severe financial problems as well. That said, there are some really interesting things happening where we're getting a lot of headquarters in the city. Some of the headquarters, I split them into two categories. We've got um, headquarters that are moving from the suburbs and downsizing and moving into the city and um, trading Baby boomers are retiring out for younger, talented millennials, and so you're getting some affluence there, um, but they're downsizing. And well, that's a qu- the, the question. Yeah, you can have headquarters, and that's CEOs, and they make right. seven-figure paychecks, but what about for the average guy? Exactly. Are, are, are jobs being created, and are those jobs starting to pay more in the Midwest? Well, you know, they, it depends on where you are. Now, we have also a tech sector. We've got Google. We've got a lot of startups that are that are on the tech side of it that are growing rapidly and paying well. So we do have that side of it. There's sort of that Silicon Prairie thing um, going, and we're cheaper than clearly, you know, San Francisco. Um, but And we do have a lot of universities and institutions to tap into. So there is that positive side of it, but there's a real divide in terms of the corporate headquarters in Chicago, ones that reflect restructuring and are just bringing just the affluent and a very small group of people into Chicago, although it's good for Chicago because they need that. And then there's the ones that are more the growing and the vibrant side of the economy. And, you know, at the same time, Chicago's had the overshadowing of the steel industry's gone bust. We now have steel tariffs coming in. The steel industry was linked very closely to the shale boom. Also, the rail industry, very closely linked to the shale boom trucking very closely linked to the shale boom. So we've had some of the residual effects on the downside of oil, even though it used to be that lower oil prices were a huge positive for us. Well, I know Tom has uh, has probably asked you this, but i got to follow up and say, is then Illinois fertile ground, and Wisconsin, because you're only a few miles from there, uh, fertile ground for a populist uh, challenger for the presidency who may not have any economic plans but has the message of anger? Um, I think Michigan is more fertile ground since I'm from Michigan. I mean, remember the Michigan militia? They trained Timothy McVeigh, and um, I watched the whole um, what happened um, as union workers joined the military and then were t- taken out of the military, and they started doing war games in 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 the woods. Um, Michigan, I think, is more at risk. Um, talking to my friends that are political handicappers in the Midwest is where this um, battle is going to be fought out, and. Um, 
you know, Illinois has a lot of anger as well, but um, it's a there is a different set. You've got the minority anger because there's neighborhoods that have been very isolated, and the blue collar anger is a little different equation. Um, the unions are still pretty strong in Illinois. Tom, I, w- I would suggest that perhaps the turning point for the election may be found in who plays in the World Series come October. <laughs> if you get the Cubs and the White Sox, well, that would be maybe the people of Illinois will <laughs> yeah. be in such a good mood. Yes, but, yeah. but I've been listening to you guys go on about this, and I think, Diana, it's a huge value to have you on uh, 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 about this. What? How do you speak to the independence in the Rust Belt states? What what is your prescription for finding resonance with those? Well, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to leave here. We're gonna have to continue this conversation with Diane Swag. We've just simply run out of. Uh, we're gonna with DSC sit with her at Wrigley Field and continue <laughs> the conversation. Well, there it is. Um, a lot going on. Let me get over to my data screen here. A futures up two, Dow futures up twenty nine. From New York, Bloomberg Surveillance. Bloomberg Surveillance brought to you by Bank of America Merrill Lynch. Seeing what others have seen but uncovering what others may not. Global research that helps you harness disruption. Voted top global research firm five years running. Merrill Lynch, Pierce Fenner & Smith, Incorporated.